The Lance Wall Now Show is coming at you live from the master himself, with a special broadcast taken from one of Lance's most recent appearances. Tune in and get ready for some major revelation. So I'm dressed today as though I'm addressing ambassadors. And uh, you are an ambassadorial company. Now, what is an ambassador? An ambassador is somebody whose primary business is to represent another government. And that's what you do. You're representing the kingdom of God. And so you might be in different phases and stages of spiritual growth. Of course, you might be, you know, kicking the tires, visiting the church and, and all that. But God is drawing you in to a greater calling. And I'm going to tell you the benefit of answering the call of God in a time like this is when everything shakes and, and you're living in a period of time when, uh, when by design, everything is unstable. The only entity on planet Earth that has been given a guarantee of stability in a time of instability is the church that Jesus is building. And you need to know that because if everything that can be shaken will be shaken. How many of you ever heard that verse, everything that can be shaken will be shaken? How many of you, have you ever heard that verse before? Listen to me. It comes out of two chapters in the Bible, a very small book by an 80-year-old prophet who was probably thinking of retiring. And God gave him four months with which to minister to a company of Jewish people who are returning from exile after 70 years in Babylon. And this old prophet was sent to explain to them that they were living in a time of shaking and it was going to continue uh, until they got into the building project God had. And God's building project was he wanted a house that would impact the nation and a house that would impact the world. He wanted to build something spiritual. And they were focusing on recovering their own houses and lands. Well, the prophet shows up, and the Bible has great specificity and detail. And every detail in the Bible has meaning. There's not a word that is put there, or as King James says, not one jot or one tittle, not, not one dotting of the I or crossing of a T that doesn't have a, 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 a layer of significance in it. So you read sometimes, why in the world does the Bible say, for instance, uh, the book of Haggai starts with chapter 2, if you guys have that verse, chapter 2, go, uh, go to verse 1. In the seventh month, on the 21st day, of the, uh, of, of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. So now why does it say on the seventh month, the 21st day? Seems like a weird little detail, but here's the interesting thing. That little detail means that that word was given on the very last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, and there's three feasts, three times a year where God says, leave your house, leave your property, trust me, when that happens, because I'm going to be ministering to you. I'm going to be watching over you. And when Israel was walking with God, God would protect their property. And the men were primarily called to go out, and they would meet with God. And, uh, and the meeting would be for Passover, for Pentecost, and for Tabernacles. Now, Tabernacles is an interesting sequence. It's at the end of the year. It's the last, it's the harvest time. It's when the rains would come down. If it was really great, you'd have a former rain and a latter rain, and the harvest would be copious. And it was also when they had the beginning of the new year. It was a proclamation of the new year. It was Yom Kippur when everyone repented of their sins, so God would bless the nation. And then it was a time of tabernacling with the presence of God. A lot goes on in that final feast that's prophetically significant because Passover has already happened in, in Christian world. 
Passover is when Jesus on the night which was betrayed took the cup, and he basically said, I'm drinking this cup with you. The Passover was the blood of Jesus shed for the sins of the world. Pentecost was after his resurrection, like seven or eight days later, boom, the Spirit of God came down. They were filled on the day of Pentecost. But Tabernacles was never fulfilled. Why? Well, the old time, when I say old time, this is like the latter rain prophets, people from the 1940s and 50s say, every feast has a fulfillment in history. The Tabernacles feast will be fulfilled by the end time church that experiences a double portion outpouring of God's Spirit when God is in the business of shaking and judging nations. And Jesus said, the harvest is the end of the world. It's a great end time harvest. And then the king returns. So Tabernacles is a kind of interesting, significant day. This prophecy of Haggai, that God is going to shake the heavens and the earth, was delivered on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Have I made that point? What's fascinating to me is for, for, let's see, since 2020, the Lord's had me preaching everywhere that we are in a period, a cycle of history that exactly corresponds to the return of the Jews back to the land when they were exiled and came back. When Haggai went and told them, be working on what I'm building, because your nation is not stable, but I will bless you if you give me what I want. That prophecy of Haggai that was to warn that that group of people that they needed to be around God's business was delivered on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles when the prophesied global shaking was going to come. To my shock, I happened to have been in Europe on October 6th. I had been in Israel earlier ministering to, with Arabs, by the way, born-again, spirit-filled Arabs and Jews in Israel, and I had left them to go to Europe, and Hamas strikes on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, the day that Haggai prophesied global shaking, that was the day Hamas hit Israel and started our end-time global shaking. Let me repeat that again. The day that Haggai prophesies, I'm going to shake everything, is the day on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles when Hamas hit Israel. God even oversaw the random work of the devil. And, they, and Hamas was actually aiming to do it earlier, and something interrupted them, so they chose the last day as the day never even thinking they're fulfilling a Haggai prophecy that says, I'm in charge of the global shaking, and I'm going to use everything that's going on to build the house that I want to build in the earth. So the purpose I have for you ambassadors is to understand the pattern of the shaking so that you don't get shook up when the shaking happens. Because as as, as the, the, the embassy... And the ambassador is supposed to have inside information about what the government's doing. And uh, I never forget one day I got a prophetic word for uh, a, a man of God who was a friend of mine. And the word came to me out of my spirit. I didn't even know what it was. The Lord said, Ambassador Plenipotentiary. And I looked at him. I said, The Lord says that you, you carry the office of, an, of a kingdom ambassador, Plenipotentiary. And I had to go look it up because I didn't know what it was. An ambassador plenipotentiary is an ambassador that is so trusted by the ruler that the ambassador can make the decision while negotiating whether you're going to go to war or whether you're going to have peace. It's an extraordinary degree of authorization. 
You could say that Jesus has authorized his ecclesia to determine whether you are going to go to war or whether you are going to go to peace. This is what is meant by whosoever sins are for you forgive are forgiven, whosoever sins you retain are retained. That's a very weird verse, which almost puts the authority of forgiving and releasing on the people of God. Well, it almost does because it does. Do you know, the Bible says that you can renew your youth like the eagle. Joel says that I'll restore to you the years. We don't even think about these promises much, but listen, when you get to my age, and like I'm 67 years old, you wouldn't know to look at me, but I plan on running strong. And you know what? About two months ago, I started getting a text uh, a blitz of four friends of mine, my age group, who are all going in for emergency heart procedures. I said, hold it right there. Renewing our youth, longevity, strengthening our heart, finding out how to preemptively anticipate where physical infirmity would try to take us out. That's my priority. This year, I want you to join me. Go to LanceWilla.com forward slash summit. I'm going to go to the beautiful Trump Doral in Florida, and I'm bringing experts with me. Dr. Jordan Rubin, I said, are there longevity secrets? He said, let me talk to you about collagen and intermittent fasting. I talked to Dr. Chancey Crandall. He said, there is an extensive panel of tests that can be done that will preemptively anticipate where the enemy might want to take you out. And I look at this list of geniuses we've got. Dr. Neil Goodman talks about the insights of reversing the brain fog, fatigue of long effects of COVID. And Christy Nickel, who's a young lady who is transforming bodies with fitness and weight loss. I can't go into all of it. We even have a miracle service. When they're done teaching, we're going to see God supernaturally restoring years. Go to LanceWilla.com forward slash summit. I'm going there, and I'm looking forward to seeing you because this year is going to be a strong year. Start the year off smart at the summit. Join Lance at the Health and Wellness Summit to discover secrets of longevity, strengthening your heart, and transforming your body. Go to lancewallnow.com forward slash summit to reserve your spot now. So we have a far different role than we think as ambassadors of the kingdom. Am I making sense so far? So now here you are in a period of global shaking, prophesied by Haggai. It's, it's right there. And by the way, I encourage you all, I know you've got great PowerPoints, but I want you all to use Bibles. I'm going to tell you why. I come from a long line of rabbis on my father's side of the family. I didn't know that, by the way, until it was revealed by a minister. Uh, and when I went to a full gospel business meeting, I was in my 20s. I was not raised Jewish. I was raised Gentile. I was raised in an Episcopal church. I was raised as a nice Episcopal heathen. And so when I, was, uh, when I got born again uh, by a bold campus evangelist that led me to Jesus on a military academy campus where my dad, who's a military guy, put me away to get me away from girls and get me away from theater because he didn't think that I could ever make a living talking, which little, little did he know. So, so, the, uh, so while I'm on the campus, I get led to the Lord one night, kicking a guy off the campus who didn't belong there. He led me to Jesus. I never met the guy again. Boom, he just got me saved. That was it. Then since then, I've been to like, you know, 100 nations, but that guy's the reason why. So anyway, so the Spirit of the Lord has me uh, in, uh, getting, going around the body of Christ, and I didn't even know where Christians were. I mean, we're like an underground movement. Once you find us, we're all over the place. But until you find us, we don't even, you know, it's hard to find a Christian. We're like so ninja. So I'm looking for Christians. I finally find some Christians. I meet some Pentecostals. They're the loudest. And they get me like filled with the Spirit. So now I've gone from, you know, Episcopalian and to, uh, you know, full, full tilt 
charismatic, Pentecostal. Now I, I'm at a full gospel business meeting, and uh, while I'm sitting there, a guy comes off the platform. He's got a ministry in Israel. He goes, Mishpoka. Mishpoka is like a greeting for Jews. I go, huh? He goes, God's going to use you to reach your people. I said, Episcopalians? I thought, well, everyone has a destiny. That doesn't sound so exciting, but I mean, do what we got to do. And he goes, no, Jews. I go, Jews, why Jews? He goes, why don't you go to the lobby and call your father and ask him? Now my mother, my father, he even knew who it was. Called my dad, my dad right away was very nervous. Like I, He thought the guy knew him from growing up. I said, no, this guy doesn't know you, believe me. And so he said, well, come home and we'll discuss it. Anyway, that's when I found out. I found out about this lineage. I found out about, he said, well, you come from a line. He says, I married a Gentile. My father married a Gentile. We've been trying to cover this up so nobody would find it out. He said, now God's exposing everything that I was trying to cover up. I said, well, maybe God wants me to know. He said, well, okay. He said, so here's the hard part uh, that's a little awkward. He said, would you like to go to Israel? I go, why would I go to Israel? He said, you actually have a sister who's Israeli. Then I found out that my dad had been married in the Second World War while he was in the underground and blah, 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 all these stories. And, he, and his wife got, was Jewish and she had a daughter and her daughter's in Israel and she wants to meet her brothers, but he's been keeping us separated with a big scandalous secret because he doesn't want his boys to know he was once married and they got a sister. He said, but since God's exposing everything, I might as well introduce you to your sister. Who is Israeli, by all, of all things, emigrated to Israel. So, I mean, this is a shocking thing for an Episcopalian to discover. <laughs> so, why am I sharing this with you? I don't know. I just felt like telling you. <laughs> Back to my notes. Anyway, because I don't want you because yeah, because of this thing. Oh, okay. So, 20% of, uh, I do a DNA test, find out 20% Ashkenazi Jewish. Okay, Ashkenazi Jew, that's interesting, 20%, 25%. So then the Lord starts talking to me, and it's the weirdest thing. All this anti-Semitism going on. I mean, it's really, it's like kind of fascinating to me. I'm not Jewish enough to feel persecuted, but I do feel Jewish enough to be persecuted. And so it's like I'm observing this thing as an observer. I'm saying it's a spiritual thing. Part of the shaking in the last days is that nations are going to define themselves. Catch this. you got to get this. As sheep and goat nations. Jesus said when he returns, he's going to, the Son of Man is going to be sitting upon his throne. He's going to gather all the nations before him. Ambassadors, I want you to understand something. You've got to go out and demonstrate the kingdom. You have to go out and penetrate the kingdom. You have to go out and... I like the idea that you're using spheres. Spheres is a great word. Spheres and mountains is the two words that, that I, I prefer to use. And I'm actually going to work on a book that's going to be called Sphere Wars. Because where we're entering now is spheres are going to collide. You're, going to, you're seen in the political sphere in the United States, but you're also seen it uh, like you got my, uh, Michael Seifert here with Public Square. You're seeing it in, in alternative economies too, colliding. We're going to do if you if you're going to use our money as a weapon against us, we will take your Bud Light or whatever and show you there's a, there is a way to deal back with you. If you're going to weaponize the system against us, tolerant, nice, loving, shofar-blowing Christians, and you're going to attack us, we will figure out a way to work back. And so in every sphere, in education right now, you don't think that there's a major shaking going on in education? Now that you got 34 knucklehead groups that are, that are siding with terrorism on the campus of Harvard? Everybody is looking at that and going, what the heck? I didn't know. I mean, it was one thing if it was LGBTQ, if it was pro this or pro that, but now when it's like, you know, kill the Jews, it's getting weird. So 
There's an awakening happening in every one of these spheres. The thing that I want you to catch about spheres that's important is that a sphere, like let's say the sphere that you're called to, you might be called into, into business. Let's say in the chiropractic. I love chiropractors, by the way. I'm going to throw that out there. So I consult with companies that are chiropractic companies. So they're going to diversify. They're going to move. Now, I've got guys that are chiropractic that are also Christians that are also interested in family. Here's what I want you to see. That the secret is you're on the periphery of an institution. You don't have as much influence as when you're in the center of the institution. So you want to be the, the center is where the power is, the periphery is. So out here you've got your, in here you've got your Academy Awards, out here you've got your other kind of awards. In here you've got your Ivy League schools, out here you've got your other kind of schools. In nature and in life, there's a, there's a hierarchy. I didn't create it, it's just the way nature works. And in the hierarchy, there's different levels of influence. Those that are at the top of the hierarchy are those that work their way from the periphery to the center. The force that does that for a believer is called favor. Now, you have an unseen advantage as an ambassador because the favor of God is the attraction of God to you that responds to something in you when you're worshiping and seeking him. God is attracted to you as a response to something in you that is calling out to intimacy with him. So, so favor is the attraction of God to you that releases an influence through you that inclines other people to like, cooperate, or trust you in the assignment that God gave you. So favor in its most powerful cocktail is attached to an assignment. And favor for the, you know, for the, the novice is claiming favor. I like I used to always say, I have when I'm parking during Christmas, Lord, give me favor. I'm looking for a parking spot. That's low-level favor. High-level favor is when God puts it in my heart to go meet with the president of a country, and I begin to move in that direction, and miraculously, doors are opening up, so I'm meeting with that president. Other people can't get access. I'm right in front of him right then. What did that? The favor of God is, the, uh, is, the, is a power that comes upon you that clothes you with the magnetic power of angelic intervention to set you up for divine appointments. So God will move you from the periphery to the epicenter because there's two kinds of um, powers in the earth. There's the, uh, in terms of kings, there's two types. There's the decision makers, and then there's the influence shapers. You can either be the decision maker, which has the ability to spend the money, write the check, or tell somebody to authorize something, or you could be the influence shaper, who is the person that moves the person that can write the check or make the call, right? Favor will put you in a position of influence with decision makers. Because as an ambassador, you're influencing policy and you're shaping it. If you're really qualified by competency, God will move you to the position of being the decision maker in the center or the epicenter of that circle. Does that make sense to you? So when you go from here to there, Favor will set up the open door. God will move you, leapfrog you over lots of other phases and stages. Now, if you were to pull this up and look at it like a hierarchy, it goes like that. That's how come the mountain and the sphere make perfect sense. At the top of that mountain or at the center of the sphere, at the, uh, you move from the periphery climbing to boom, being at the top. You could say what the anointing does is, if you're qualified, if you can handle it, God will parachute you up here. 
You don't have to do. You have to pay the price for mastery in your profession, but you don't have to bow the knee to bail to get there. What you bow to on the way up, the casting couch or the paying off the bribe type stuff, what you bow to on the way up meets you at the top. So you don't give the devil the opportunity. You trust God. You pay the price for mastery. That's a non-negotiable. Everyone I heard this week in this conference had competence. Nobody got promoted and didn't know what they were doing. They got, but they could all point to how God, this God, that God, and yet they showed up and they paid the price. So you pay the price for mastery. I'll give me an example of how this works. God anoints David to become king. He is a child. Saul is the king. David must get access to Saul's circle. How is God going to do it? David has a skill. And what is his skill? A harp. David is, we would call him a new age music therapist. When he plays, <laughs> depression lifts off the atmosphere. Positive vibes come in and negative vibes go out. When David walks into the environment that he has authority to influence, and this is a key word, he has spiritual authority over the atmosphere. So when God calls you to go into a place that he has assigned to you, you carry with you the authority to bind the devil in that environment. That's why when you get in there, you have power over the spirit realm that is usually talking to that person, and it's bound while you're there. And as an ambassador, you're speaking to the decision to the heart, and God is at work to cause things to happen in that leader right then that normally they might not even do. And this is the signature. Mark these words. Little things like this will come back to you later when I leave town. When you hear these words, we don't normally do this. Well, this is, we don't normally do this, and we're going to make an exception in your case. The word exception in your case, don't normally do, means an angel in favor is doing something. Got that? So David takes his music gift and with that skill, he has a divine appointment. He moves to the periphery of being a kid in the backyard to being in the throne room of the king. And from there, he has authority over the realm that is there. When he's in there, he binds the devil. When he leaves, the devil comes back. This is what you call a consultant. So many people that have this anointing will be called in, and your job is like a Joseph or a Daniel. You know what a Joseph and a Daniel or a Nehemiah is? It's a Jewish consultant or a Gentile consultant who has the extraordinary anointing of God as an ambassador to be put into strategic situations where you're influencing the values and thinking of key stakeholders in a way that is not threatening because you're just there to consult. You're not there to take the throne. God wants to open that door of influence to a great many of you, but you have to have a grid for it. You're talking spheres. You might as well understand how the science of this thing works. God is taking you from the bottom to the top. Doesn't mean there isn't a process. Oh, I can tell you the process. It's an agonizing process. We'll talk about the process because I'm talking about in a period when the world is shaking, you have to understand that the shaking is happening for you, not against you. And I can prove it to you scripturally. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26. See if you guys can find this real quick. Oh, they're fast. The Bible says, God's voice then shook the earth. This is the New Testament writing about 
Haggai's prophecy, reaching back a thousand years. He now has promised, saying, yet once more I'm going to shake. So the shaking is for the New Testament era. It's our era. But I want you to circle that word promised. Promised. You see, you could look at the end times because you're going to see darkness rising. You're going to see violence. You're going to see a time of increased agitation. The Apostle Paul doesn't paint a pretty picture for the last days. And he says it's going to be fierce times, times of great stress, times of great pressure. But, but, but remember this, all of it's happening because God is fulfilling a promise. So don't look at what's coming upon the earth as the devil or the antichrist or the wrath of God. And I sure hope that we don't have to go through all this. I want you to see it as an evidence of God's promise. While it's happening, God's winking at you saying, I've got this. When I was growing up, if my mom wanted my brothers and me to straighten out, the ultimate threat, the nuclear code was, wait till your father gets home. Because that meant mom wasn't going to deal with it. She had delegated this to the guy that actually spanked us. It's like, hold it, mom, right there, hold it. Maybe we've gone a little too far here. We're going to clean this mess up right now. No need to get dad involved. So she knew when she had it with us, wait till your father hears about this. Oh, my God, no. So that's called a threat. But if dad's coming from a foreign country, as my dad would come, and you know he picked up something for you. I don't know what it is, but he's got a gift for you. That's a promise. So here's what I want you to see. When, Jer when Jericho had the walls around it shaken and the walls came down, the Bible says that, Wherever you were in the circling process, you went straight into the city. Shaking produces a change in the matrix that opens up pathways for God's people to move from the periphery to the center of influence. Pay attention to this. Your city, prepare for shaking and think, what disaster relief role will the church play that already has a plan? you got to be like Patton when, uh, when, when he was called to go to Bastogne. And it's a fascinating piece of true history where they say to him, for you veterans, remember the story, where Patton is already engaged and Bradley and Eisenhower are having a meeting and saying, my gosh, the Germans have already broken out. It's called the Battle of the Bulge. They're already, they're already in Belgium. They're rolling us back. Can anyone bring relief? How long would it take? Patton said, I could be there in 48 hours. They said, stop it, George. So full of bravado. Realistically, what can we do? He said, I've already told every commander to prepare a plan to pivot. So I've already got my I've already got the plan ready. We could do it in 48 hours. Because Patton had a genius for war. And he said, This is where the enemy is going to hit us. And if he does, this is what we will have to do. He anticipated what the devil was going to do and had a plan in place to intercept him. So Patton pivoted within 48 hours. He was there. That was the famous weather prayer, where the only thing that was holding him back was the inclement weather. And so finally, he called the chaplain in. He said, chaplain, I know that if we, you put the right prayer out there for me to pray, the Almighty will move. The chaplain said, you sure, John? He goes, trust me, I have an intimate relationship with the Almighty. If you give me the right weather prayer, God will answer it. He got a weather prayer from that chaplain, and the cloud cleared up, and Patton was able to go in in 48 hours. Fascinating story. But, here, but here's the part you got to get. 
You are all going to have as a church opportunities. When Jericho's walls come down, the shaking happens, God starts to move you as a people of influence, and every one of you individually. And the other thing I was thinking about is the great comment made by one of your speakers yesterday, uh, the, the CEO guy. He was, he, I was taking notes, man. I was saying, this is really great. I had to get over here. I, was, I got a link you guys provided me for my hotel because I flew in. And I'm sitting there listening, and I go, man, Jeff Hoffman says something fascinating. He said, get clear on the outcome you want, because if you're not clear, you're not called to lead it. What result are you trying to have? I'd challenge your leadership. What result do you want to have in the cities God is sending you? Because if your goal is to have the most likable biggest church, that falls short. Likable big churches have failed America. What America needs is strong apostolic churches that deploys leaders as ambassadors into every sphere to shake on the sphere and reform it. Your call is to reform the sphere you're called to. Your job is to say, God, what would heaven look like in this profession? What is the devil doing in this area that needs to be taken down? So what happens is you go for the periphery. Now, once, once David was in the circle with Saul, and here's Saul the king. David is trusted. He's moved from the periphery into the center because of the music gift that he has. He's a counselor. He's an advisor. But he's helping the king to process his, and deal with the demons that are tormenting him. But God put him in there with an anointing, had authority over the devil. However, David had a secondary gift, which is why you want to develop your skills. I don't care what your—all skills, talent, and ability is used by God to form a slingshot. The slingshot is the natural skill you have that God uses to solve a problem someone else can't solve. You get paid in life for the complexity of problem that you solve. That's why the guy that is the janitor doesn't get paid with the brain surgeon gets paid. It's not a lack of equity. It's that you get paid or compensated in life for the complexity of the problem that you solve. You will never be without problems. Never ask to be without. The goal of living the Christian life under the blessing of God, if you read the Bible, every man of God in the Bible had increasingly more complex, life-threatening problems the closer they got to the finish line. That's why many of them ended up martyred. The problem got more complicated. The good thing is that as you walk with God, God gives you a better quality problem to solve. You're not trying to figure out how to get your next meal, how to keep from dying. What you're figuring out is how to solve a more complex problem. God wants to promote you to the place where you're able to access heaven for answers to problems that earth can't figure out. Does that make sense? And here's what's interesting about it. If you, if you go from the outside of the periphery, so now he has a slingshot skill. The slingshot ability happens because what God knows is there's going to be a giant problem coming in a second, and that giant problem is going to affect the nation. Why you've got to succeed as a church is because each of you has to grow up till you have sphere penetration, level one. Sphere preeminence is level two. That's when you stand out, and you can handle a spotlight. And you can handle the temptation that comes with the spotlight. If you've never had a girl thrown at you as a single guy, they're there in the spotlight. If you never had money, it's there. In the, when the favor comes, the greatest... I was in Israel. I remember I was doing a, uh, this last year. And I was in Israel with a great guy, a Palestinian tour guide who I, I was, became really close friends with. And he was doing, he was doing the guide 
and he had his Islam notes, he had his Christian notes, but he, find, he found out who I was because people were telling him in the group, hey, this guy here has got a big following. I've got like a million people that follow me on different social media platforms. He goes, oh. And we were in the place, in one place where Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer. And he got to the Lord's Prayer, and he said, lead us not into temptation is part of it. And he looked at me, he said, do you have anything to say? And I looked at him, and I thought, why is he asking me that? And I thought, right away, the Lord gave me something. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And in that moment, I got a revelation. The Lord wants to give you what you're asking him for. But if you can't handle what you're asking him for, he would be leading you into temptation to give it to you. You really want that money, that wealth, that influence, that, that fame? I heard you guys taking an offering earlier. Let me tell you something. If you can't trust God with 10 pennies and a dollar, don't be praying to God for millions for his kingdom. You can't handle it. You can't trust him with 10 pennies and a dollar. You can't he can't trust you with a million out of 10. Because you bowed the knee to Baal on the way up that mountain. So here's the deal. The nation is going to have a Goliath problem. The nation is going to have a giant problem. You've got to be able to get into the center of the, for the periphery to the center in your sphere. Once you do that, you're up here where the gates are. Now you're sitting with your enemy at the gates. What are gates? Gates is a metaphor in the Bible for the place of influence. It's the center, not the periphery. It's the place where the judges and the rulers and the kings and the rich sat together to decide policy on what came in and went out of their city. It's been that way since time began. It's a hierarchy. It's like a Jordan Peterson message on the hierarchies. So at the top of the hierarchy are the people that are vested with the greatest authority to influence. And up here, and, and the, these are dense overlapping networks of elites at the top of each of these mountains. That's why if you're a populist candidate like Trump, they've got to kill you. Forget about your politics on Trump. The reason why he has 700 years of jail in front of him, why they're trying to strip his business license in New York after the banks all got paid back and were happy with the deals they did, why they're trying to attack him with $300 million worth of fines, why, listen to me, it's because he dared to go up to the top of the mountain, parachute style, and freak them out. They have control, it's a, they have control of the game. They, under, they are all very careful, and they all have separate interests, but they guard each other so that each of them is protecting the circle of interest the elites have. Trump comes in and says, I'm going to bust up this thing and give it to the people. It's kind of like Maximus out of the Gladiator, giving Rome back to the people. They got to kill him. They got to wipe him out. They got to destroy his ability to function. They got to vilify him and make anyone that supports him a domestic terrorist. That's why I got involved with politics. Because I got tired of the church talking profoundly. I could talk. You could, I can talk. Favor, spirit, seven mouths. But when I was hearing a disconnect, like everybody loved my message over here. They weren't watching what the devil was doing over there. So I had to leave the church mountain and go to the media mountain to go talk to Christians about what they weren't hearing in church. God will give you the ability to have a slingshot. Now, here's what happens. David has proximity. Proximity. What you're praying for is proximity. Why? Because proximity is power. 
So favor will put you into proximity. You got to pay the price to be competent so that when God promotes you, you have the slingshot or the harp. You got either you're going to be able to minister the peace of God in the situation or you're going to advise for war. So here's what happens. David now says to the king, he goes, you know, why is everybody listening to this, uh, this giant? What you find out is the nice thing about David's little harp lifestyle is it put him in a bubble. And in that little bubble, David had not been uh, affected by the, the Wuhan virus of anxiety and fear. He was in his little incubator with God. And so when he sees Goliath... His instinctive response is that that is, that is a defiant spirit attacking Israel. Why are we allowing that uncircumcised Philistine to embarrass and taunt and intimidate? Everybody else had the spirit of fear on him. David didn't have it because he was in a bubble. Some of you feel isolated at times. Well, why don't you thank God for your isolation? Because in your isolation, you can curate and create your own little bubble with Jesus. Because as soon as you're public, you lose that. And you long for the days when you weren't known. So David says to Saul, your servant killed a lion and a bear. Fascinating. God will give you private battles that don't make any sense in order to prepare you to operate for a bigger battle that will be public. God will give you private adversity that does not make sense. Why would a lion, a lion's coming against these sheep, a bear's coming against the sheep, and secondly, here's the weird thing about David. He took ownership of his assignment that he had as though he was shepherding something bigger. Otherwise, these animals are going to be slaughtered anyway. Why don't you let the lion or the bear have them? But to David, the Lord is my shepherd, and they were his sheep. And so to him, it meant something different. It meant that they, I'm protecting them just like God's protecting me. And I'll be darned if I'm going to let a predator take one of them because it's, it's more convenient for me to give up that than fight it. And because he had that, God was shaping a worldview in him. When the lion and the bear came, what came on him wasn't natural. A gift of faith came upon him. Understand the gifts of the Spirit operate in the Old Testament. God will get a gift of faith is when God suspends the development of your faith right now. You may be at like 30%, 40%. You got faith for this, faith for that. God says, on that assignment, stay with me. I'm going to give you a supernatural confidence regarding the outcome that exceeds any history you already have with me. You're not going to, you're going to suddenly have to believe for a million. So far, you've never had to believe for that before. Don't worry about it. That building's yours. And what you got to do is realize a gift of faith gives you an inexplicable certainty in the outcome without any history to back it up. So, you, so David had cultivated a gift of faith, evidently, so that when he got the faith to kill the bear, he knew he was going to kill that bear. When he got the faith to kill the lion, he killed that lion. And now all of a sudden, he felt that same gift of faith on him. You got to catch it, because it wasn't natural courage. Never, you'll confuse the daylights out of yourself if you make the wrong. This was a gift God gave him. But God had gifted him, to deal with the giant. So David now convinces Saul that he can do it, and bam, he hits that giant in the forehead, has dealt with a national threat, and immediately the favor goes to the next level. And what happens when the favor goes to the next level in David's life? Saul now wants to kill him. So you want to be, lead us not into temptation, 
means that God has to prepare you gradually, progressively for your promotion by testing you with a response to adversity before you get to the next level of promotion. God has to test you, take you seriously, take your prayers and prophecies and visions and dreams seriously. So you've got, you've got the ultimate power over here of ruling in Egypt, Joseph. You're going to do that? Well, guess where we're going to start? Favor with God over here is going to provoke your brothers to jealousy. They're going to put you in a pit. You're going to come out into, uh, into, into Egypt. When you come into Egypt, you're going to be in charge of Potiphar's house, and you're going to have the favor of God, and you're going to be accused falsely of rape. You're going to be forgotten and imprisoned until you start interpreting the dreams of the butler and the baker. And when you're there, you're going to remind the, uh, the, the butler to remember you when, when he gets out, and he's going to forget you for two years. Then suddenly it's going to be Pharaoh's going to have a dream, and when Pharaoh has a dream, you're the go-to guy to interpret it, and finally the process is done, and God is ready to promote you to rule and enter into that chapter. Your challenge is you have to be able to maintain stability during these process events so that God, you're not led into temptation when you get promoted to the next event. And if you want to know why it is that the church goes in wilderness, is because we can't handle the next level. And so God even works with your failure there to take you down and, you know, spank you so that you learn and then put you right back into the same test over and over till you pass it. Because his ultimate goal is that you should be a church and an individual that stands before him as an ambassador having taken territory for the kingdom of God. Can the musicians please come forward? Let's have the music ministry come up. And, we'll con and, I, and I hope this has helped you, but I want you to see you are, I'm counting on you to do what other churches don't do. You have to look beyond the blessing and the, and the prosperity of what you've got and look at the currency of influence and the ability to handle adversity as the ability to handle another level of influence. Did you enjoy this latest episode? Please remember to share it with your friends because the more knowledge you have, the better equipped you are to navigate the world.